all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Richard Gershon, the host of In Legal Terms and a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you miss a live In Legal Terms episode, find our podcast, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. morning, and thanks for being with us today. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. So last week, we talked about forgiveness being the best pathway for life in general, okay? And today, I want to move further into why forgiveness is truly a, a good thing for you and how you can make it happen Knowing that forgiving others and forgiving yourself are key in making yourself a happy and healthy person, we need to figure out how to do that, right? Forgiveness has to be intentional. It has to be a conscious act. You have to be thinking about what you're doing. Once you've experienced that true forgiveness, then you'll understand how you can gain peace and calm in your life. It really does come come with being able to step through this. So I want to dive further into the forgiveness path. You know, we we actually talked about forgiveness last week, right, Abram? Yes, ma'am, we did. Good morning. Good to good to have you here with us today. Always thrilled. So you know, we we went down that pathway, and we we had some great callers, and um, at the at the very end. We had a caller, Billy, who had a really complex question, and I actually invited Billy to call back, and I can throw that number out to see if Billy's listening right now, Billy, because I would really like uh, to, to hear from you. I have a few questions, actually, but... We can, because of technology and Abram, we can play Billy's um, Billy's call from last week. So our listeners, if you weren't listening last week, you can hear his question. And uh, like I said, it was a really complex question. That that forgiveness piece and, and how you do it is what we're going to be talking about today. And I'll throw out a couple of questions for you before we play Billy's. Is there a difference between forgiving someone very close to you, like a family member, that you might see all the time, and forgiving someone that you can easily avoid, like, you know, an old work colleague or or an old friend that, that you really distanced yourself from um, over something, and so you you just don't see them? So that's question number one. 
And then question number two is, do you think that there is a transgression that is just unforgivable? Do you have a line that you've drawn to say that there's no matter what, you cannot forgive that person? What happened and why can't you let go? Why do you think it's all important to hang on to that anger? I'd like to hear from you on that one, too. All right. Because um, Billy, who called last week, really had something that had gone on for years. And so, Abram, if you'll go ahead and play that, I'd appreciate it. And then we can come back and kind of talk to everybody about what what has transpired over that and, and why maybe we need to move forward. The um, you know, issue is about my brother-in-law, who unfortunately made a pass at my wife in our bathroom when they were over for Thanksgiving. And then I found out about this a year later from my wife. So everything, uh, you know, went south after that. I haven't spoken to my sister for about, you know, six, seven years as a result because he never fixed up to what he did. Mm. And, um, and as a result, I ended up harboring a lot of negative feelings and so forth. Probably two, three years after that, I ended up kind of foregoing all the anger that I had, all the issues you said, high blood pressure, heartbeat, all that mm. stuff. So I'm like, okay, I can't kill myself over this thing. Let's move on. So I moved on. But, uh, you know, once in a while, you know, family situation, I haven't seen either of them since. So I try to stay away from that. But the forgiving part has always stuck out really hard for me. And I want to get there with all my might and all my heart. But sometimes I find it hard to kind of go there because of the action that was done. And then if I want to go ahead and forgive, do I need to make that a public affair? Okay. So that was, that was a great call and something that I think is really important for us to talk through. So let me actually talk to you about a couple of things that, that Billy said during that. First of all, what I really wanted to talk to Billy about was he, he talked about he found out a year later that that, that brother-in-law had made a pass at his wife. So his wife, I guess, told him about that. That concerned me a bit that that went on for a year before he found out. So perhaps his wife also had had some issues that had been festering in the anger and it was ongoing. So the sounded like two people were affected by this transgression pretty significantly. I wonder how much trouble it caused between Billy and his wife. That's number one. So I think that's a true example of letting letting an act or a transgression go and fester for a long time, both by his wife and then also by him after that. That continued for years. So you see what happened, the, the destructive effect that happened. Now, what about Billy's sister? The wife of the guy who hit on his wife. So now you have four people involved, and I bet you have many more people involved in this transgression that happened, probably the extended family. 
um, I doubt that it was just those four who were involved. So I think this is a great example of what can happen when you don't, one, confront something directly, um, then decide that you're going to let it go and expect that something like that never happen again. And so I, I, I think it was a great example of that. Now, Billy also mentioned that he had trouble with high blood pressure and other health issues. And I, I think he felt like that some of it was related to some of what had happened because he was just so angry over it. So having yourself find find the ability, the strength, actually, to move forward and one, directly talk to the individual who, cre- who, who gave, who committed whatever transgression it is for that specifically. And then two, to, to make sure that then you let it go. Now, again, if you believe from the response, if you directed, if you directly confronted the fact that Billy had hit on your wife, if you, Billy, if you had directly confronted that and your brother-in-law was not remorseful, was not apologetic, and you felt like you couldn't continue a relationship, then, then I get it. But what you can do is forgive him, say, okay, this was uh, an act. I think it was probably an impulsive act, and I expect that you never cross that line again. Now, then how close your relationship needs to continue is is up to you, up to him, up to your wife, and up to your sister. Uh, there's, But it appears that the conversation never happened and festered for a year, and that's where you can really get into destructive work, for want of a better word. So you have to confront things and, and not let them go for long, long periods of time. Um, I can keep going on that. He did ask one other thing that I want to reiterate. Does forgiveness need to be public? Does it need to be a public act? Or can you do it emotionally in your own mind, in your own self, in your own head, and have it accomplish the same thing? Well, the answer is it doesn't have to be public because there are many situations in which we may not be able to publicly forgive someone. Uh, it might be a parent who died. So it's one of those things that um, one needs to keep in mind. So with with that said, um, what you need to do, though, is make it a conscious effort, a conscious form of forgiveness where you're really thinking about it and you really mean it and then you really can let whatever it was go okay so I'd love to hear from Billy if he wants to call in but we have a couple of early callers and I want to go ahead and get to them we have Ann in Tennessee um, and Ann, you have an, an 11th grader who's not adhering to boundaries. Talk to us about that. Okay, just in a nutshell, and I'd like to kind of listen off the air. This is kind of distressing, but um, sure. it's my daughter's child, he's an 11th grade boy who's just crossed all boundaries for a couple of years now. 
and he was living with his mom, and then it just got so bad that he's living with his dad, and now his dad is basically given up, and his mom is trying again. Um, they live in different states, so um, he has he will not let anyone who cares about him help him, and he puts up this this exterior of he's doing great and he doesn't need anyone, but inside he's he's so insecure and really wanting help. But um, and his mom had him see a therapist, but he'd just sit there and wouldn't engage at all. And so I know there's facilities, for example, for adults who are trying trying to stop bad habits, like drinking or drugs or whatever. There's rehab centers, and I'm just wanting of any and all kind of resources for that would help the teen. She even thought about getting him in a wilderness kind of situation where, you know, um, they try to help the person. So I think that paints a pretty good picture, but she has um, a younger daughter who's had issues and is now doing really, really well mentally, and she's just concerned about the whole family unit. Yeah. So that's where it is. Yeah, that wow, that sounds like a really tough yeah. situation, Anne, and and uh, I'm hearing you. So let me make sure that I'm clear before you hang up on the on the. So your okay. daughter has an 11th grader who is presently in the home who is not adhering yeah. to boundaries, but also yeah. uh, an older stepchild who who has been in the home and and is now out of the home living with his his biologic mother instead of father and stepmother now and continuing to have some difficulties? Well, it, it's her biological son, and they were divorced. Um, and okay. so she had him, and he was doing great, and, and he was doing all right. But then he got to a point in 10th grade where he just melted down on everything and she he's big he's a big kid so she couldn't control him so his father took him for about six months Mm -hmm. and then he was like not doing any better at all in fact worse and so my daughter took him back you know no questions asked but she's like really trying to to protect the other children in the house her, her younger daughter and um so he, as I said, he went to a therapist, but he would just sit there and not engage at all. Mm-hmm. His teachers would reach out to him, and we know inside he's he, he's he's crying out for help. But on the outside, he won't let anyone in. Yeah. And I'm just wondering what resources online or programs or anything that might be available. If yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, teenage years can be really tough, and certainly the the grade in which you felt like he started falling apart around the 10th grade is not unusual and you know to think back about there are a couple of things I just want to mention that can happen to a 10th grader even though he's a big boy he he could have had issues involved around bullying uh, just because you're big doesn't mean that you're not going to be bullied and so 
so to to wonder what happened to him in the 10th grade. Was he starting to struggle academically in school? Was there bullying going on? Was there something perhaps with a relationship that mother was having with someone else that caused an issue? You know, what is there a stepfather or a significant other in mother's life that perhaps he was having trouble with? So, um, and you don't have to uh, see you dropped off, and 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 I understand that you want to make sure that that there were no other issues like that that need to be addressed because typically there certainly can also be intrinsic depression that starts sort of rearing its head. Um, in later adolescence, uh, depression or significant anxiety that becomes overwhelming. The other thing to think about is, could there have been drugs that entered in? Because many times teenagers will begin to try to self-medicate if they're feeling bad about themselves or something going on. Perhaps he was angry with his parents for divorcing. So there's so many different things that you have to step through. And I always talk about this kind of behavioral medicine is truly detective work because there's not a blood test that you can do that tells you exactly what's going on. So you really have to stop and listen. And, you know, sometimes one therapist is not going to make a connection that another one will. Now, there are certainly online services for therapy, but but I do find that and and for teenagers, sometimes they like that because they feel like that they can privately reach out to somebody and they're they're not walking into an office where other people are looking at them. And so that's something to think about. But the other thing to think about is, is there somebody in his life, one individual that he really respects, cares about, loves, and will listen to? It might be an aunt or an uncle. It might be a grandparent. But to have someone take him under their wing Um, The thing that nobody needs to do is to say, why are you acting like this? And the reason you should never ask that question is the majority of time the answer is, I really don't know. I really don't know. And so to stop saying, why are you doing this? And we know you can do better to say, let's make a connection with someone. And it truly might be a therapist, but it might be someone else. The other thing is if if there is now a, a daughter who is struggling a, a bit, it might be good for the family to think about going to family counseling and to not focus on one individual, but to more focus on, a, on the relationship, if that makes sense. So to to keep in mind that if you're targeting on one who does seem to be the biggest problem causer, perhaps there are other individuals around who are feeding into this and not making things better. And I'm not saying it was wrong to send him off to be with his father to see if father could handle him better. Um, not necessarily if he had a good relationship with his father 
But if he didn't have a good relationship with his father and he was sent over there for dad to be tough, to me, that might cause even more anger. So to, to, to really sit down, think about the entire situation, try to make sure that you are as well informed as possible. But it sounds like, again, I've said this a hundred times on this show, mad Mad in a teenager is often sad in a teenager. So keep in mind that this could be some depression. The other question, if is there a family history of depression? If there is, that is the most likely issue or a family history of anxiety. And so to think through that, why did parents divorce? Was there anger control issue? Were there depressive issues or emotional issues going on? So I threw a hundred things out there, but yes, indeed, they're definitely great services. Um, we have many good services around our state, and I would encourage y'all to start with a primary care provider to talk about what's going on and then ask them to help you get to appropriate services. I believe you were from Tennessee, and I know Tennessee also has some great services there. Well, thank you for that call. That was a a great way to start. Um, Let's stay on the line because Ann um, P., I'm not sure from where, has some comment about something being unforgettable. So unforgivable, rather. Um, Ann, talk to us. Uh, I have always understood the importance of forgiveness, and I have seen how it can operate in a very positive way, but I think it's more complex than it's often built, and what I would say, I I know this is a very extreme example, but my daughter was murdered by a serial killer in Baton Rouge many years ago, and uh, the pressure, I kept having people tell me that I needed to learn how, as we went through 11 years of appeal that I needed to forgive this person who had stabbed my daughter more than 80 times, raped her while she died, and had held her in front of a mirror so she could see what he had done to her. And I found that unforgivable. I felt the only person who could forgive him would be my daughter, and he had made that impossible. And I felt a lot of pressure and a lot of sadness and a lot of stress and tension over being told I needed to forgive this person and the effort to do so until I finally decided he, I, whatever, whether he deserved it or not was not an issue. I did not have to forgive him. And I, that was the only piece I ever found with that was leaving behind the stress of trying to forgive such a person for such a deed. So, yes, I do think there are things that are unforgivable. Wow. No, Anne, what a story. My goodness, I am so sorry. And my goodness, I cannot imagine the stress and the hurt and the grief that you experienced from that. And so I think you've brought up an issue is that that I'd love to hear from others about. I can understand how 
you could say, there's no way I'm going to forgive that individual for taking my daughter away from me and for being so cruel and evil in the way in which it was done. So I I hear you, and I think where you can go, and it sounds like you've gone there, I hope, is to resolve that that incident happened, your daughter suffered, that you have had a lot of pressure on you, put on you to forgive someone who truly sounds very sick and and very evil. Um, and I, I can say that I doubt, I would love to hear from someone if they think that they could forgive an individual who did that to one of their children. I'd like to hear from you, and, and maybe you could help us how to step through that. But, because, but Anne, if I were in your shoes, and my goodness, I hope I will never be, I don't know, I think I would be in your place to try to work through it that it is okay not to forgive that individual for the act that he committed, but to forgive yourself for not forgiving him, to let it go, and to remind yourself that you're still a good person, you're still a loving person, you still have consciously stepped through it, and you've come out on the other side to hopefully be able to let go of it. Now, this is what I would say, continuing to harbor anger and hate of him is very unhealthy. So if you can get yourself to a neutral point where you're not continuing every time Every time you think about the situation, because I know it never goes away completely, every time it bubbles back up, if you can try to learn, teach yourself how to center and be neutral, tell yourself you can't do anything about it, it's done, um, that you don't owe him any thought in your brain, and that he doesn't deserve to occupy any more of your emotional energy. Have you gotten there? Do you think you're able to move that way? I, I think I have come to that. And uh, uh, once, once I quit focusing so on him and the effort to be forgiving, all I ever think about is my daughter. I really never think about him. You know, I don't. I don't have to worry. You know, right. That was the the thing. The effort did was it kept you focused on him, right? When really, really the only thing that mattered was her, right? So. I, I think that's a good position. And, and, and I mentioned on the show last week that the same thing. Are there some things that are unforgivable? And one thing that many experts in psychology say is that sometimes it is unhealthy. For example, for an individual who's been raped by a sexual predator, um, it is not always the right thing to do 
to forgive them because sometimes there's too much emotional energy spent on that forgiveness. And I said on air last week that I had some mixed feelings about that. And I think you've pointed out to me why there are times that spending emotional energy on that is unhealthy. So I appreciate you calling in. I think you've helped me step through some of that, too. And I I bet you've helped other listeners. So it is okay for egregious acts like that to to let go of the emotional energy of trying to forgive and to center yourself and thinking about the goodness of you or the goodness of your daughter and the beauty that she brought to your life. So, and thank you for calling. That, that um, has made me feel very emotional, and I appreciate you, you adding to the story to help others. Okay. okay, forgiveness. How do you do it? And when can you do it? And we'll talk about the self-forgiveness, too, of maybe not even being able to forgive, as we were talking about with our previous caller, um, forgiving yourself for not being able to forgive. Mm. Lots of lots of tough thoughts that circle around this, but it can be transformative if we can do both, forgive and self-forgive. We do have a couple of callers already waiting, so I'm going to jump back to the phones. We have Betsy and Lorman. Hi, Betsy. Thoughts about Hi, forgiveness? Now, can you hear me? Because I'm driving. I wanted to pull over and stop. And I was just so moved by Anne's honesty that she called. And I have a degree in counseling, and I'm also a, I do lay lay ministry work. But what I wanted to share with her was my experience in forgiveness was I had a, now this is not, certainly not the extreme that she had, but uh, with her daughter, but I had a experience with uh, being abused as a child, and um, I had to forgive my father, and what I realized that is, and I don't know if she's a Christian, she sounds like she might be, but mm-hmm. what I realized is that um, Satan is real, and uh Throughout my life, I've really studied this, the nature of Satan, and he works through people who don't know God. And oftentimes, I wanted to forgive, hate my father. I just wanted to hate him. Why would he beat me? And then I realized that he didn't know God, and Satan was using him actually to destroy my life, because my life was important to God, and I spent the last four years doing some very important work in the world. But the one thing I wanted to share with her, and I am certain of this, is that she probably feels, and that you probably feel, that your daughter is hurting or suffering, or you couldn't save her, you couldn't protect her. So I want to suggest something. I know this is um, questionable for the Christian community, but I have a friend who is a uh, she's a professor of law. She's also a pastor, and she's also a medium. And she was able to get, help me get in touch with my family, my my father who had died. And he asked for my forgiveness. And I realized that I was able to get in touch with other my, my, husband's, my husband's brother who died very young, two years old. A lot of different people. And this woman is very reliable, very 
encounters. She's not, she doesn't have a magic ball or anything, but she's in communication. I think it would be really valuable if you can get in touch with your daughter in the spirit world and she can tell you that she's okay. Mm-hmm. Because I think that that would liberate your heart. And I, I, I am happy to give out my number if you want to call me and I'll give you the number of this woman. Maybe, but, Betsy, know, yeah. Don't give your... She doesn't your... charge a lot. Yeah. She doesn't charge a lot. She's not. You know, she's not one of these big highfalutin. Mm-hmm. She's a very sincere Christian woman that tries to help people in situations like this. If you find somebody online that's very reliable, very responsible, it's worth it to connect to your daughter because that will liberate your heart. And once your heart is liberated, it's very important. And I remember, I remember once I was on a, on a, I was doing a, a conference for professors, and I was on a bus trip with someone who had been in, in Auschwitz, and her face was covered with wrinkles from head to toe. And I said, what happened to you? She said, I was in Auschwitz. I said, did you ever let go of that? She said, no. And you could see it in her face. So mm-hmm. I really want to help you let go of that, whatever yeah. it takes. Yeah, Betsy, that that is... Um Good, good information about being able to let go, and I, I think you're absolutely right on your your insight to Anne's feelings of also not being able to be there to protect her and save her. But um, I'm hoping that she has worked all the way through that. Now, let me just say whether you can be in touch with the afterworld or not, I don't want to get into a discussion like that because I don't know what I really believe in all that. But I will say that I don't think you have to physically be able to do that to be able to get to a space to know if you are if you do if you are a Christian or if you do believe in the afterlife in any fashion in which you believe that I think we all know that that it it is said to be a good a really good place and that there is no suffering and so to to center on those thoughts is where I would encourage her to go. Whether or not she can be in touch with her to hear that or not, I don't think that is even necessary. I think to be able to get to that place and say that um, in your mind and in your thoughts, uh, to be able to close the door on that, because you know she's not still suffering. She's not. I'm certain of that. So thank you for that call, Betsy. And Thank you for what you do. I appreciate your your ability to know how to forgive. And I know there are many individuals who were abused by individuals in their childhood and have had to struggle with exactly what you've done. And I'm glad you've been able to work through it. I will also say that I hope if there's anybody out there who thinks that there is an individual being abused in any way that that you have the wherewithal to step in and save that individual and look for the signs. And I will will be doing a show on on abuse and the destructive nature of that in the future because that's a really, really important topic. And it's something that can either you can either come out on the other side okay or you can come out on the other side in terrible shape and it can be destructive to your life so 
if there's anybody out there who is either struggling or questioning, um, certainly please get online and get help. There is help out there. Okay, let's stay on the phones. Uh, we have Jackie in uh, Summit who had a comment, I guess, from our previous caller about the loss of her daughter. Jackie? Correct. Yes, my, my middle child was in school with um, her other daughter, and um, I remember from Jeffrey how uh, traumatic it was and how difficult it was even for the other students of the sibling to um, see how uh, how horrible it was for her to deal with it. But what I will say is that I'm in a reading group, and about five six years ago we, we read different um a variety of books and then discuss them four times a year and we bred The Sunflower by Simon Weisenthal and he was a concentration camp uh, prisoner in Germany and had a guard who was extremely uh, mean and uh, evil really he uh, this uh, Simon actually watched and was ordered to burn down houses with um, Jewish families inside, mm. and he just tortured, mm-hmm. tortured, and, and enjoyed the torturing. Well, during the latter part of his imprisonment, he was in a hospital um, it, just as a uh, um, uh, cleaning up and all, uh, and this guard was in the hospital uh, dying. And he recognized Simon and asked his forgiveness. And so the first half of the book relays the story and how he came to the point of meeting this guard who was dying and requesting forgiveness and what he did. And then the second half of the book, and it's been revised two or three times, so it has new new um, uh, comments from different um theologians, different rabbis, Mm -hmm. Dalai Lama, just any faith you can imagine, any theologians or philosophers you can think of, and they give their comments. And some say total forgiveness, don't ask questions. Others say no, the person who's done the evil deed must admit what he's done and or she, and then uh, restitution is required. Mm. And that was... That was that permeated a lot of the comments, but it, not all. I mean, it just went the gambit. So it gave you a real um, understanding of the the viewpoints of different um, um, theologies and religions and how forgiveness is addressed. But it was a very very worthwhile book study and discussion group that we had, and it stuck with me. Um, you know, seven six or seven years ago, and so I highly recommend it. Okay, that sounds good. Repeat the name of the book, Jackie, if you will. It's The Sunflower, and his name is Simon Weisenthal, W-I-E-S-E-N-T-H-A-L. Yeah. And I'm I'm sure he's deceased now. I mean, he wrote this book decades ago, and it's been revised, and it keeps coming up in study groups and in universities and all, and it's it's a very worthwhile read. Sounds sounds like a good book. I'll have to read it. I'm a I'm an avid reader, and I love hearing good book recommendations. So thank you, Jackie, for that. And and um, yes, and both both hands. I hope you'll listen to that. And so thank you again for for calling and those recommendations. Okay, I, again, forgiveness. 
is it all or none? That's a that's a really good question. We have to step through that one over and over again, don't we? Okay, let's stay on the lines because I want to make sure that uh, we have time to get to, I believe it's Anatole and Hattiesburg. Is that correct? Yes. Good morning. Hi. Thanks for calling. Um, I just wanted to say there's a quote. I can't remember who said it, but it's, we deceive ourselves twice about the people we love, first to their advantage, then to their disadvantage. Hmm. And... um, I grew up a very large child. I I was almost 380 pounds by the time I turned 18. Mm. And when I became an adult, I had access to really good mental health care through my university. And I worked on a lot of issues and I lost almost 200 pounds. Wow. Uh, One thing I didn't realize when that happened is how much resentment and how much a lack of forgiveness I had for my upbringing for, for, you know, basically I thought, well, why did they you know, why, why was I allowed to get as large as I got? And, uh, it took me several years to realize that my family are just regular people like everyone else. And, you know, there are a lot of amazing things they did for me. And, you know, I'm not the only one. It's an epidemic in this country, you know, obviously a systemic issue. So, uh, it allowed me to, to, to really love them more and not, harbor these uncomfortable and I would say unhealthy emotions about how the past should have been different. Wonderful. And it sounds like you have done a ton of good work to have a a good life and to heal yourself. So, Anatole, I think that is something great for others to have. And, you know, you brought up an issue that I know there are other people out there who have struggled with before, um, especially if you you had to deal with not not just the, the teasing and the bullying about having significant um, obesity, but, but also the health um, issues that can come with it. And so I'm, I'm sure you struggled with whether or not that meant that your family did not love you to allow you to get to that. And, and I am sure there are other people out there who have thought about that. But I will say that in some cultures, and certainly in the Southern culture, um, in, in many different areas, uh, having wonderful food and all the food that you can eat seems to be a positive reward for some. And so um, it, it sounds like you were able to step through all that. I have a question. Were, your, was, were other members of your family in the same position that you were with your um, obesity, Anatole? No, I was, well, my sister, mm-hmm. uh, but she, she lost the weight in middle school or mm-hmm. high school and, and was, has kept it off. Uh-huh. But my mother and her parents and my father and his parents, none of them are, I mean, they might be overweight, but none of them are obese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always curious about how, but I, I do, and and you've probably come to that, I do think that sometimes it's um, parents not wanting to, quote, deprive you of things that they think that you may want, and it's so hard to draw the line on that, and the easier pathway is is to allow 
essentially what I would call poor nutrition. So um, I'm glad you were able to step through that. Congratulations on the incredible amount of weight loss. That is a heavy, a, a, no pun intended, a, a heavy uphill climb. It's a big uphill climb to be able to to get to that and to keep keep the weight off. But but I'm sure you feel like a, a new person. Very much so. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for that call, and and thank you for being able to get to the point to forgiveness um, when you when you can. So, okay, um, Abram, are we okay not taking our last break, or should we go to that? It's up to you. We don't have to. Okay. Um, maybe what I'll do uh, is to take the last few minutes. I think we could actually have another caller if if there's somebody out there who who has a thought that they really need to get in, give us a call, one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Um, we've had some great callers with a lot of diversity as to to why forgiveness and how forgiveness could happen or perhaps not happen. And I think we have to remember there may be some times when what we need to do is turn to self-forgiveness, allowing ourselves, because that is one of the hardest areas that that we have to approach is forgiving ourselves. You know, I think some people sometimes forgive themselves too easily and quickly um, when they when they just don't feel remorse. But the majority of us who are good people spend a lot of time not forgiving ourselves, not letting go of something that we did or did not do. And so to keep in mind that that self-forgiveness is one of those things that you also have to consciously do. You have to name what happened. You have to name the consequences and face what happened. And then you have to say, what I did was perhaps wrong. And some might not forgive me for that. But... I regret that I did it. I will never cross that path again. Those are two things that you have to approach. And then that you truly and intentionally forgive yourself. So that is something important to keep in mind. So let me just say, general, genuine self-forgiveness can really... Restore your sense that you have moral worth and you have dignity and that everybody makes mistakes. And that is okay. that the important thing is to learn from what those mistakes were and learn what you need to do to be a better person in the long run. Okay, so now I want to spend the last two or three minutes on talking about that model. And again, I talked about it in the show last week, but I want to reiterate it because I think it is so important as we are moving through our lives. I also want to talk to you uh, about going back, if you will, to listen to 
forgiveness, the pathway to forgiveness. Um, last week's show, I hope you'll listen to it and then pair it with this show so that you can hear all the different aspects that we talked about. I think last week's show had quite a bit. So you can search Southern Remedy, relatively speaking, um, and go to the podcast from last week, or you can just type into Google Southern Remedy, relatively speaking, and look at September the 17th. Okay, so now I want to talk to you about the uh, um, um model that Robert Enright put forth. He's a psychologist um, who's still alive, but he delineates four steps of forgiveness. And and I'm going to just go through them quickly. The first is to uncover your anger. Explore how you've avoided or or not addressed that emotion. Okay? That's what we do often. Uh, We just push it away, we push it down, we close it into a closet, and we don't address it. So you need to pull it out, go ahead and address it. And then you have to, after you've addressed it and explore why you've avoided that emotion, you need to make the decision to forgive if you can, whether that's yourself or someone else. You acknowledge that ignoring or are coping with whatever happened hasn't worked so that you're going to now move forward, okay? Then you have to try to make yourself develop compassion for the offender. Now, our last caller gave a wonderful example of that. Did you hear him? Anatole talked about how after he went through the anger and he faced that it was one of those things that happened, that then he thought about why did his parents let that happen to him. He, he, he developed compassion, and he said, but he thought they were good people and that they loved him and that they weren't trying to hurt him. And so he developed that compassion. So that was step three. And then the, the very last The last thing is to just release the harmful emotions and reflect on how maybe you grew from that experience. Now, growing from that experience may be sometimes growing in learning how to manage the hurt or the upset was the growth and that you could still live through it. So keep those in mind. Try to cultivate that ability to step through forgiveness and including self-forgiveness is if that's the only way. Forgive yourself for not being able to forgive. Okay? All right. Well, I want to thank everybody. Thank our callers. Um, Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, and funding is provided in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and support from listeners just like you. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.